This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Browns game. And it's also going to be our mid-season review of the 2021 Bengals season up to the bye and basically the halfway point of the year. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 9 Review. Cleveland Browns, 41. Cincinnati Bengals, 16. Man, I was no fun to be around on Sunday. I was in a bad mood. I know you guys out there were upset too. It was a rough one to watch. When it was over, honestly, all I wanted to do was go to sleep. What are we going to do? We're a 5-4 and four team. We're heading into the bye week. There's a lot of winnable games coming up. We have 5 of 8 at home down the stretch. Let's keep our heads up, learn from these two really bad losses, and make a push for the playoffs in the second half. All right, so let's quickly go over some Bengals headlines. First off, they signed Vernon Hargraves off of the waiver wire. He's just more of a slot corner. He was a very high draft pick. He kind of hasn't panned out anywhere that he's been up to this point. No disrespect. Maybe this will be a change of scenery. Maybe having a defensive backs guy be his defensive coordinator might change things. You know, maybe being around Wouzier and Bell and Bates and, and the crew might pick up his game a little bit. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I love when we pick up players. It shows that we're aggressive and trying to continue to improve this team. Now, what I always say, and I'm not trying to be negative, teams do not waive good corners. Teams do not waive good offensive linemen. So the fact that he was on the waiver wire means that there may be some things that we don't know about him. But you know what? Let's put that to the side. It's a fresh start in Cincinnati. Let's hope that he works his way up into the starting lineup and becomes a great player for us. And then Akeem Medenergy came back, which is nice. And I'm not sure what that means for Carmen. Now, Carmen was coming off a herniated disc in his back coming out of college. And when you saw he was hurt in the last game, he was holding his back. I'm not sure if it was the same injury, but that's a little shaky. And the fact that they didn't start Carmen this game either meant that he was still more hurt than they let on, or they weren't happy with his performance, or they were really high on Adenergy. I'm not sure which of those three, but I'm hearing that Adenergy is going to be starting against the Raiders. I can't speculate on that now. Take your pick of which one of those three scenarios it is. I'm hoping that whoever's in there plays well. And as a result of that, they waived Nick McLeod, who only saw one game of action in a Bengals uniform. He was inactive most of the weeks, so he's now out on the open market. And then they waived Darius Hodge, my man. He was a good guy. I was rooting for him. He played so hard in preseason, and Miami picked him up. You knew he wasn't going to last long out there. Pass rushers are at a premium. He showed that he has some skill. The Bengals put him in for the first few games. He only had maybe four or five snaps, and then they made him inactive for the rest of the games. You know, our defensive ends were playing well, so maybe that's why he wasn't getting any snaps. 
Either way, he went to the open market. Miami picked him up. So I'm, I'm wishing you well down there, Darius. You got warm weather and you have no state income tax. I know the team's not great down there, but build yourself a nice career. And if they ever let you go, I'm hoping that Cincinnati grabs you back. And then let's move on to some injuries from this week. Unfortunately, Akeem Davis Gaither hurt his foot, and it's fairly serious. I don't know if it's a broken bone, but I'm hoping that it's not season-ending, and there's a possibility that it might be. And then Brandon Wilson, another one of my favorite Bengals. He was my MVP a couple seasons ago, and he gets dragged out of bounds on a really dirty play by Fields. He's out of bounds, and the Browns guy is still hanging on the back, almost like a a horse collar, but it wasn't a horse collar, but still just hanging on a little bit too long. His leg gets wrapped up underneath him, torn ACL, out for the year. You hate to see anyone tear their ACL and be out for the year, and you double hate it when it's done on a dirty play from a divisional rival. All right, so I always like to review the Joe Burrow press conference, and I'm not going to go over too much of it. You know, they asked him if they thought the throw that was a pick six to Denzel Ward was a good idea, and he said, I don't know, I have to watch the tape. You know, that's kind of an unfair question. That's pinning someone. You know, that's someone, that's you making a mistake in your life, and someone saying, did you think that was a good idea to make that mistake? But the one quote that I did want to reference from Joe Burrow was this. He said, we've lost two in a row. So what? We've got eight games left and still a chance to win the division and make the playoffs. That's the mindset that you want from your warrior quarterback. That's a great mindset. That's the mindset that I have. I hope that everyone out there listening has the same mindset. Let's go. Let's win this division. Let's get to the playoffs. Let's be a deadly team in the cold weather in January and make some kind of push this year to do something special. All right, let's move on to some observations from the game. You have Chubb, who we have just not had an answer for the last couple years. And, you know, we've invested a lot of money into the defense, and the defense has played very well aside from the last two games. And I don't have any answers. If all that money and all these great players and all these players that are playing well can't find a way to stop this guy, I just don't have an answer for it. And, And that's frustrating to say, and I'm hoping that we figure out something schematically or players step up. I don't know what it's going to take. But he's a scary player. I hate to concede that to a divisional rival. But, man, it is no fun facing him. And I'm not looking forward to facing him again in Game 17 this season. And then I give the Browns credit because Odell could have been a big distraction. I was I was loving it. You know, I was hoping that it was going to be a distraction for them this week. It was going to throw off their concentration. Absolutely not. You know, I, I think on their end it was like good riddance addition by subtraction, as Marvin Lewis used to say, and they played very well. It didn't even matter any of the scenario with him, whether he was there or not, whether there was drama or not. You know, they had their heads on straight for this game. Okay, so my main takeaway, too many hits on Burrow. I know they said that the offensive line didn't let up a lot of the sacks. A couple were on the running backs. We'll go over that in a little more detail later. But, man, I was watching the game the quarterback hits are just as painful and damaging as the sacks. Yeah, the sacks lose you yardage, but the hits wear down your body. And Joe took 12 hits on top of the five sacks and a bunch of hurries. And some of those hits were offensive linemen totally missing their block and having big defensive tackles and big defensive ends with a clear shot at Burrow. It was getting scary. I think that we left him in too long, too. And I'm one of those that wants to fight until the end. Don't give up. 
keep going, keep going, keep going. But there's a point where you have to say, we need to look at the big picture here. And when we're down, you know, we had that that last touchdown, what we were down like 34-10. And to get, we're doing everything we can to try to make it 34-18. So, you know, it's a three-score game by us getting two pointers. But man, that was a costly last touchdown for Joe Burrow. He got hit five times on that touchdown drive. It's not worth it. It's not worth it in a game where, you know, I was saying this during the game. I'm like, okay, so at this point in the game, we need to score, get a two-point conversion, stop them who we've not been able to stop all game, then score, get a two-point conversion, stop them again, then score, get a two-point conversion, and stop them again just to have a tie and possibly go into overtime. I know anything's possible in the NFL. You don't want to give up when there's time on the clock, and it's a very important game. But this was one scenario where I was like, we need to look at the big picture because if Burrow goes out for the year, the season's over. And then some other observations. We contained Garrett in the beginning of the game. There was a lot of double teams. I saw they triple teamed him a couple times, so we were doing a good job there. As the game went on and they knew we were throwing – we kind of stopped with the double and triple teams. We were leaving him one-on-one with Jonah, and he was getting in there and wreaking havoc, unfortunately. And I noticed about their offensive line, they were getting to the second level a lot. You know, I mean, you saw Jesse Bates get pancaked. I mean, is that his fault when a 310-pound guard is coming at him untouched? You know, that's hard for a defensive back to get off that block. You try to dodge it. You can't go through it. And, you know, even Logan Wilson, they got to him a couple times on the second level with with one of those big Pro Bowl-type guards. So that was very good on their part. They were getting, and that's what we want to do. You know, we want to see your Spains and your Carmens, Adenogies, whoever's playing guard. You want to see those guys get to the second level. Hey, I love when you see Jonah downfield making a block. The Browns were able to execute their game plan where they freed up these offensive linemen to make blocks on linebackers and defensive backs And that's what led to so many extra yards for Chubb. In addition to the grinding yards he was getting inside, now that opened up the big plays. And we'll go over Chubb's big play in a little bit, much to my dismay. And I really don't want to review it, but I I think we owe it to ourselves to take a look at what happened on that play. And then what they did with Troy Hill, which was great, they used him in the Mike Hilton role. Troy Hill played like we want Mike Hilton to play. Blitzed a ton was very active in the run game, was constantly in the backfield, and he got three sacks, he had some pressures, he played a great game, and we had no answer for him. And it was almost like they used a page out of our playbook. I don't know how much they've been blitzing Troy Hill this season. You know, they probably looked at our tape, saw what Hilton was doing, and said, why don't we do the same thing? And it really did work. And then we moved the ball really well those first two drives. And then from there, it seemed like the Browns kind of caught up to us, you know, for lack of a better word, you want to say we kind of got outcoached at that point. I mean, maybe it's execution on the field. We did move the ball after that, but not as effectively as those first two drives. Was it a script that happened to work, and then when the script ran out, we couldn't improvise as well as they did? I don't know, but it was very noticeable to have your first two drives consume 20 plays and go scoreless until the fourth quarter. And Joe can't keep trying to make tackles on interceptions. He's going to get himself hurt. He got his legs twisted really badly on the Denzel Ward pick six. And I know no one hit him, but it was just an awkward fall, an awkward movement for his legs. And then on the other interception, he gets nailed by a defensive tackle. Any quarterback does not want to give an interception up. 
And when he does, he gets a little more fired up than most quarterbacks, and he wants to go in there and make a play. Same thing, even if it's a pick six, that's not worth the season. And the Browns were dirty, like more dirty than I expected. Normally you expect it out of Pittsburgh, maybe a little bit out of Baltimore. Cleveland and Cincinnati, even though we're rivals, we kind of it almost felt like there was a little bit of an honor system between these two teams, and that was totally out the window. The hit by Clowney on Burrow when Burrow threw the ball out of bounds and Clowney took a, a step and a half and nailed him. That was not cool to do. You know, you could really hurt someone doing that. What if we did that to Baker? You know, what if we did that to Baker and he falls on that bad shoulder? That could really mess somebody up. Really, really dirty hit. And then you had the fields dragging down Brandon Wilson on the sideline. Not cool on that play. And then on Burrow's second interception, this McDowell guy he blocks Burrow from the back really hard. You can't do that. You shouldn't even touch a quarterback on an interception return unless it's a mild push from the front. Worse off hitting a quarterback from behind. He hits him, and he hits him right into the back of Chase's ankle. And it was like, wow, that could have knocked out our two best offensive players right there. And it was just not cool, dirty. I don't know what got into the Browns. I I don't know whether to blame the coaches or the players, but... Man, you guys got to clean that stuff up. That's just not the way you play. We didn't do anything dirty in this game. I don't remember anything dirty. So we're in a 7-7 game. The Browns have their first offensive series. And when I saw the way that Chubb was running the ball, I was like, we're in trouble. I don't know if we're going to win this game. I mean, that early you could tell that we were going to have trouble stopping him all day. And it just went downhill from there. And then Greedy Williams goes out, and we couldn't take advantage of it. You know, Denzel Ward has the oxygen mask on for half of the first quarter. Greedy Williams goes out early. I'm thinking, you know what? Give Burrow a little bit of time to throw, and we're going to eat him up with our receivers. And the Browns' backups did a great job on us. You know, there were some open receivers, granted, but we didn't do the damage that we should have done when one of their top corners goes down. And then when we went down 24-7, they just were teeing off on Burrow. And it was getting scary at that point. That's when a lot of the hits were coming. They knew we we had to throw. So the running game was pretty much out the window. And it was just pin your ears back, get your best pressure schemes in place, and start attacking this quarterback. And that's what we saw with the five sacks and the 12 hits and the 11 hurries or whatever the numbers were. And then going back to the clowny hit, clearly... A hit way after the play was over. You know, our offensive line came to our our defense, and really, who was leading the charge there was Quentin Spain. He was in there. He was ready to fight. He hit one of the Browns in in the head, open hand to the head. He was ready to brawl anyone out there. And then right after, he slapped one of them. The flag went in the air, and I'm like, if we get a penalty on this, this is going to be a crime. And although he did hit the guy in the head, I think they were trying to make up for the blown call by the ref, and that's why they called it against the Browns. That was to our advantage. I mean, that was poetic justice. That needed to be a 15-yarder against the Browns, no matter how or when you called it. But either way, glad that the team rallied behind Burrow. And, you know, you don't like to see fights and anyone get hurt and stuff, but it was kind of fun to see a Bengals-Browns skirmish on the field. You know, it got you charged up, especially in a game where we needed a spark. And then the end of the first half, it's first and 10, we're at the 16 We end up only getting a field goal out of that. That was a very key point in the game. All right, so then second half comes. The Browns come out of the second half, and the first 
play is a questionable throw to Peoples-Jones on the sideline. And I was like, wow, they don't get it. They should have just ran Chubb down our throat in that first series. I was like, that's a big mistake on that drive. Ultimately, it led to their first punt in that drive. So they came out of the locker room trying to be a little too clever, and it kind of backfired on them. So since he gets the ball, now we're a little bit behind the eight ball because we start at the 13-yard line on that first series of the second half, so it's tough. First was mix and right for two yards. I like it because the Browns are expecting us to pass coming out of the gate. We, you know, we needed to catch up in the game. So you know what? Let's get Mixon involved again. It was a run right for two yards. Second play was a mix and pass to the flat for 11 yards. Third play was mix and run right for four yards again. So they kind of, I guess that was one of the locker room adjustments. Let's not just put it on Burrow. Let's get mixing the ball early. Try to get back to more of an even run pass mix and see what happens. The fourth play, Jonah gets beat by Garrett, and it was a seven-yard loss, a sack. And I I watched the play a few times, and I can't tell who Burrow was going to go to. I think they had Boyd on a deep route, and they had Uzama underneath. I wasn't sure which one he was targeting on that play, but he didn't have time to find either one of them. And then the fifth play, we're in a third and 12 situation, and it's the two-yard pass to Chase for nine yards. You know, he makes a really good dive for the first down, but just not enough. You know, that that was the problem. We didn't throw the ball down the field. We just gave him the ball two yards off the line of scrimmage and said, go get it. And, you know, there's a lot of defenders back there. Very hard to get a first down in that situation. So then the Browns get the ball back. I don't know the whole series of events from there, but then you have the big Chubb touchdown. And then basically... From halfway through the third quarter on, it was just tee off on Joe Burrow because there was no way we were running the ball anymore at that point. And then down 34-16, we have the two-point conversion. Again, the game's kind of over there, but you still have Burrow in there, so it looks like you're still trying to stay in the game. We need the two-point conversion. I think we should have mixed it up there, maybe do that triple tight end set or you know spread out five wide, do something crazy like that. But instead, we do a handoff that just never stood a chance. It was a handoff for a loss. All right, so let's quickly review some key plays from the game. I'm not going to go overboard with this. I'm just going to run by some plays that kind of factored big in this game. The Burrow pick six. We drive all the way down the field in 10 plays. On the 11th play, it's a third and goal at the three-yard line. We have a max protect with P. Ryan and Sample back there. So it was like, let one of our wide receivers get open. What they did is they sent Boyd and Higgins to the middle of the field, and that left Chase on that out route one-on-one to the outside. And Joe, you knew Joe was going to go to Chase on that play, and he kind of forced it in there, and you saw the pick six and the total change of momentum in the game right away. Not much you could have done differently. Maybe Chase, instead of heading right to the sideline, cuts it a little more up towards the corner, and Joe floats it in there. I don't know if they would have been on the same page if one of them did that and one of them didn't, so there it was. Big momentum changer in this game. Second big play was the Mixon touchdown, so we answer back after the pick six, and Boyd blocked the linebacker. Morgan had a big block. Sample had a big block. We had pulling linemen that didn't even have to block, and Mixon goes out to the edge, and shows great speed, and he cut it upfield at the exact perfect time. It was the perfect sweep, barely touched, right into the end zone, answered them right back, and I was like, oh man, this game is going to be like a 34-31 game. We're we're going punch for punch with these guys. Third big play, and this one kind of iced it, I think, was the Peoples-Jones play. We were in quarters, as Tony Romo explained, with 
That means you have four defensive backs spread out across the field. Everyone's responsible for a quarter of the field. And Apple's lined up directly over Peoples-Jones. And then pre-snap, he backs up a little bit, which I'm like, all right, good. You know, you're protecting yourself against the deep ball. And then Jones just runs right by him. Apple doesn't have the speed to catch up. The safety that was playing the zone next to Apple wasn't able to get over in time. And it was a 60-yard pass, pretty embarrassing play. At that point, it was like, I don't know if we're going to win this game, unfortunately. And then the fourth big play, I, I hate that a lot of these big plays were the negatives, but it's the reality, was the chase fumble. When that happened, I was like, game over. And I'm not like that. I, I'm, I'm always thinking there's hope. And I don't know why it was just a feeling from early on in this game that they had our number and they just looked like the better team this game. I'm not saying on the year, but they looked like the better team. And the way Chubb started, the way their defense was playing, even the backups, I just... I had a very short leash on what it would take for us to win or lose this game. And that fumble was a real deciding factor. So it was a nice route. It was a nice throw. It was a nice catch. And John Johnson comes over, slams the ball with his shoulder pads. Ball bounces in the air. For a second, you're thinking, is it please just roll out of bounds? But it doesn't. We were lucky on the chase fumble because we were able to hold them to a field goal because they tried to get clever. I mean, just give the ball to Chubb, let him run up the middle. It was working all day. Instead, they do this jet sweep to Landry, and he tries pitching it to Chubb, and he panics and gives him a really wild pitch. We jump on it. Big loss. They have to kick a field goal. So it wasn't that detrimental. But the fact that they stopped our drive and were able to get points out of it, it it was game over at that point. All right, and now on to the worst play of the game was the Chubb touchdown. And again, I'm not trying to be the know-it-all prophet, but I called it from my living room. I saw it, and I'm like, please tell me you see it on the field, whether coaches, players, something. First off, you saw Chubb leaning. You see his eyes surveying the field. Pops in the mouthpiece. He adjusts the gloves. It's like everything everything pre-snap is saying this guy is getting the ball unless he's a really good actor. Then they they shift a tight end over to that side. Then they put Hooper in motion over to that side. And and I'm like, there is no... I'm saying it as it's going on. I'm pointing. I'm like, he is going there. It was so obvious. And I think Logan Wilson has to slide over just a little bit. He didn't move over when they went in motion. He kind of stayed in his position. And there wasn't much going on on the right side. I don't know. You know, maybe schematically he wasn't allowed to slide over. But I would have had him slide over a couple steps because, you know, he was a little late getting there. And what happened? It was perfect blocking. Wilson got blocked. Bates got pancaked by a guard, like we said earlier. Not a fair matchup. Apple dives and leaves his feet. And that was something that Marvin Lewis always preached. Don't leave your feet because you have one shot. If you leave your feet to make a tackle, you're either making a tackle or you're out of the play. And as you saw, he slipped off the, the those huge legs of Chubb and he was out of the play. And then Chubb downfield, no one could catch him, not even a Wouzier. That was the play that just broke it, and, you know, it was kind of embarrassing and painful. And at that point, I actually said out loud, I bet you a lot of Bengals fans are turning off their TVs right now. So Burrow, he's going to be better. I'm sure he's going to light it up against the Raiders. He's so cool and calm and professional, even when things are going wrong. You know, he wasn't pouting. He wasn't throwing a tantrum. He was just chill. And you know it was bothering him. He continued to throw well on the move. 
he had a couple nice deep balls to chase that were drops. It just, they just weren't in sync. Everything was just a little bit off on the passing game. He was able to throw into tight windows again. He was accurate when he had time. And again, he's tough, man. To take all those hits, and especially from like defensive linemen, late hit by Clowney, hit from behind, hit without expecting it, hit with a free rusher, just gets up every time. He's as tough as anyone out there. And I'm not just saying that because he's my favorite player, but he really is a tough man. All right, skill positions. Mixon had a great game. They're using him so much more in the passing game, and he's very effective in space like that. He's showing speed and vision, making the cuts at the right times. He's one of the top five backs in the league, maybe even higher than that. Another thing he does is he changes speeds well, too. You know, he knows when to slow down, when to accelerate, so that's working. He's missed a couple blitz pickups this year. He's got to work on that a little bit. I'm sure, knowing how diligent he is, he's going to be watching film, and I don't think we're going to see too many of those mistakes down the stretch, especially in this playoff run. Chase was targeted 13 times. He had a rough game. He dropped a couple. He's really good on that slant route. I think, in general, we need to expand his route tree. You know, I'm seeing mostly slants and nine balls at a, at a chase and the occasional out. Maybe you mix it up a little bit. You have some stop and goes, have some comebacks. You know, try to use more of those nine routes from that route tree as opposed to it seems like we're really running them in two to three, and maybe that's getting predictable. Defenses are keying on him. He's become like the main focus on defenses to watch. So that probably slowed him down in the last two games. So we have to be a little more creative with him. And the two jet sweeps didn't work, but I still like seeing him take the ball out of the backfield. Uzama had a solid game, did everything he was asked. Tyler Boyd, mystery why he's not getting the ball more. I thought this was going to be a big Tyler Boyd game. I thought this was going to be a big Tyler Boyd season. Hopefully that picks up in the second half because he's a deadly weapon when we use him. And Stanley Morgan with the blocking, I'll tell you. On special teams, he's a baller. And he's taking the Auden Tate role in the offense of being that blocking wide receiver. He had a couple great blocks this game. And then we always look at the sacks and the interceptions. So the interceptions, we talked about the Ward pick six. Bad decision. The other one, what happened was it was a chase. Chase ran a longer slant, and I thought he rounded the route a little bit. The coverage was tight. The safety was coming over. Burrow gets drilled by a D lineman right after he gets rid of it. It was a throw into a tight window, almost double coverage there on a slightly lazy route. Ball gets tipped in the air, interception. Sacks, first sack, no one blocks Hill off the edge. I think it was Mixon's responsibility, even though Mixon was on a play action the other way. Someone had to be responsible for him, and it looked like all the linemen had a a guy on -on one-on-one. So it looked like that was on the backs. Second one, Jonah got beat cleanly by Garrett. We talked about that one. Third one, pocket collapses, no one's open. Burrow comes up and almost gets a gain out of it. They get him for a one-yard loss. So pocket did collapse, but somewhat of a coverage sack. Fourth one, Garrett beats Jonah. Burrow escapes, no one open. Hill accelerates from the backfield and nails Burrow for a sack. Great play by Hill. Again, kind of a coverage sack, but Jonah did get beat to force Burrow out into the left flat. And on the fifth sack, there was a stunt. Seemed like the line picked it up decently, but then on top of the stunt, you have Troy Hill blitzing. Mixon misses him. Burrow gets sacked. There's the five sacks in a nutshell. Offensive line, 
again, you, what you're going to blame three of the sacks on the offensive line, but it was a deeper picture than that. There was a lot of hurries. There was a lot of pressures, way too many hits. I'm not going to single out each guy, but really no one on that line had a good game, unfortunately. They did create some good lanes for Mixon to run in at times, but your main job is to protect Joe Burrow, and they didn't protect him except for Spain going to fight the other team. Defensively, Logan Wilson had a similar game to the Jet game, and I hope that's not the blueprint on how to defeat Logan Wilson because he was having a phenomenal season up to that point. Let's just chalk it up to two bad games. At least he's still healthy. Let's have him watch film. Let's coach him up. And let's let's tip that trend against the Raiders and have him back to how he was playing in the beginning. And he almost had an interception on that one play too. And now Marcus Bailey is going to see a lot more time because of Gaither being out. And he did have that great pass defense in the end zone against Njoku. Let's hope that that play sparks him to play well and have a series of plays like that. But, you know, welcome to the lineup, Marcus. We're going to be leaning on you a lot these last eight games. And they're a very important eight games. Defensive backs, Awuzie had a good day in coverage. You know, I mean, that's about the only big spotlight from the defensive backfield. On the negative side, the Browns were the first team in a few games to say, let's go at Eli Apple, because he was getting only like one target at him the last few games. And prior to that, I thought he was a liability. No disrespect, man. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to diss on our guys. But I think he's had a rough season, and I was waiting to see teams expose him a lot, and just no one did. And the Browns were, again, they're watching their film, and they're saying, why aren't teams throwing at this guy? And there they were. They were like, let's isolate him, and let's go for it. And, you know, you saw the result. He wasn't even close on that long pass to Peoples-Jones. So let's hope that Apple can pick it up, become a contributor, and if not, you know, maybe Hargraves or Flowers comes off the bench and, and becomes that outside guy for us. Or maybe Waynes comes back. I don't know the answer, but unfortunately, Apple can't continue to play like this if we want to be a winning ball club. Defensive line, Hendrickson had another big sack. I thought Hubbard had a very good game. Hubbard had some pressure that led to the Hendrickson sack. Hubbard also had a sack of his own where he just beat the tight end and then came back and ran down Baker from behind. So he had the best game on that defensive line. The Browns' interior line defeated our strongest point of our line, the defensive tackles, and it was those two good players, double-teaming Reader. Tupo was kind of held ineffective, and it looked like they knew enough about Ogunjobi to keep him ineffective. So that's it on defense in a nutshell. Special teams, we need to work on getting a returner, especially with Brandon Wilson out. And Darius Phillips continues to run side-to-side you got to hit it upfield. I know, easy for me to say from my living room, but you can't dance around in this league. That works in college. It works in high school. It does not work in the NFL. You get the ball. You go forward. You make one or two cuts, but not side to side. It's all north and south. McPherson made his kicks. Huber didn't punt much, and the one punt wasn't a great punt, but they almost blocked it. So that's it. I don't want to talk about this game anymore. I talked about it for way too long as it is. Let's move on. We got a bye week. That's no fun, the bye week. I hate it because I'm, I'm just watching football, betting on stuff, and not even caring about the games. But, you know, we can root for a Ravens loss and a Browns loss and a Steelers loss. I'll be keeping tabs on those games heavily. That'll be my main interest this week. And then after that, we got eight consecutive weeks of Bengals, hopefully a bunch of wins, and I'll see you in the playoffs.
2021 Cincinnati Bengals midseason review. All right, so here we are at the bye week and basically the midpoint of the season. The bye week couldn't have happened at a better time. It's halfway through. We get a chance to rest. So when you think about it, we're 5-4, and four, and if you looked at the season on paper and had your expectations, I think that 5-4 and four is kind of what we all expected. I wouldn't have been disappointed if they said, hey, going into the bye, you're going to be 5-4. and four. Six and three would be great. Five and four would kind of be expected. Four and five or worse would not be good. So here we are, right about on par, and now we go make a push. You have to admit, this is a very exciting team to watch with Chase and Burrow, all the new defensive players. We have a lot of great skill position players on offense. The games have been close. The games have been thrilling. Definitely worth the price of admission. And if you're watching at home, it's just a thrilling three to four hours every time. And we've been lucky. We've stayed pretty healthy in comparison to other teams. We haven't really lost any star players. So you had Osai go down right in the beginning in preseason. You know, that hurt. He could have had a very big impact this year. Brandon Wilson out for the year. That just happened. At least we got a half a season with him. You know, best of luck to him. Hope he comes back strong next year. Akeem Davis-Gaither, he may be out for the season too. That's a tough blow. Trey Waynes can't seem to stay in the starting lineup. I'm not sure if he's going to see time later this year. Jordan Evans, another tough blow, ACL out for the year. And then you have Xavier Suofilo, who's had an injury history. He should be coming back in a couple weeks. Deontay Smith, he should be coming back a little bit later in the season. But that's basically it. You know, a couple guys out for the year, but no real devastating injuries that are affecting wins and losses. I guess the biggest one out of those, Brandon Wilson's a tough one on special teams, don't get me wrong. It's not just the return ability, but he makes a lot of tackles, so that one hurts. But I think Trey Wayne's not being up to speed and missing all this time is hurting us too because we're putting in backup corners and expecting them to shut down number one wide receivers. So that's probably the most costly injury is Trey Wayne's. And you got to think about it too. We're above 500 in our division, in the conference, and on the road. Those are three things that coming into the season, if I said, hey, we're going to be a better than 500 team in those three aspects you're thinking, you know, we could be making a push for the playoffs. So those are very good aspects to this team, and just keep on that path. Don't swing under 500 on any of those levels, and you're probably going to go to the playoffs. Coach Taylor's play calling has improved. He's now in year three, and, you know, in years past, I was kind of thinking, hand, hand the duties over to someone else. It's too much to be the head coach and call plays, but it seems like he's finally hitting his stride. I know some Bengal fans don't like some of his calls, and not every call has been perfect, but if you look at game by game, the play calling has not been bad. And he has the team playing very unified. We're, we're a unit. We're supportive of each other. We're accountable. Everyone has a lot of team spirit, for lack of a better word. So those are all good things on the coaching level. And it's nice to have a team that's mature and professional enough to embrace those things and not be selfish players and really want to work things for the good of everyone and go far as a unit. We won in Pittsburgh. We won in Baltimore. Those are two tough places to win, no matter how up or down Pittsburgh is. You know, Baltimore's a very good team. They're in first place right now. So those are two huge road wins against divisional rivals that could really show up for us later on when we're fighting for a playoff push. We were 5-2 and two until the media started blowing us up. We had those two consecutive losses, and, you know, the, the losses started coinciding with us being touted as one of the best teams in the league. 
and the free agents are showing that they're worth the money. Hendrickson is a monster on the outside. Awuzie is having a Pro Bowl-level season. You know, you go to Riley Reef, who's playing pretty solidly at that right tackle position. Joby. you know, the list goes on. We're finally having free agents pan out for us, and that's a big contribution to us winning so many games so far. And the fan base is excited. You're seeing more social media accounts for the Bengals. You're seeing more podcasts. You're seeing more fan involvement. They're selling more tickets. You can just see a buzz around this team. The tailgating experience is, is out of this world. You know, we have people following the team wherever they go. So it's nice to see that coinciding with the winning and the exciting young players and all the free agents is a fan base that's really loyal to its team. And that can only be a positive thing. Best plays of the first half of the season. My favorite play was the chase block against Detroit because that kind of defined our team. That kind of defined that we're going to be tough, we're going to hustle, we're going to be selfless. And it was a beautiful long touchdown by Mixon with Chase making this sports center worthy block. So that was my favorite play of the first half. And then as far as runner-up plays, just take your pick of any of the Chase deep balls against Minnesota, against Chicago, against Pittsburgh, all the plays against Baltimore. It's just been like... Jamar Chase has been the highlight reel for the first half of the season. And, of course, on the other end of that is Joe Burrow. But those were the most exciting plays up to this point, in my opinion. And then it's a little too early to go into the offseason, but looking at where we are and how we're performing, I think in the offseason, and we have a good amount of cap room, you know, we're probably going to be picking somewhere in the 20s, maybe hopefully 32nd if all goes well. But, you know, we're not going to be in the top 10 picks. So we're going to be a little bit later in the draft. So you combine you know, a 20-something draft pick with a bunch of money in free agency. And there's four players that I want to get. And that would be another one to two offensive linemen, at least one starting quality lineman, hopefully two. I think we need another playmaking linebacker. And I think if Waynes doesn't pan out, we need another corner. So those would be the four needs that I would say going into the offseason. But that could change in the next eight games. All right, let's take a quick look at our upcoming schedule. So, again, we're 5-4. and four, We're over 500. You know, if we split the next eight, we're a 9-8 and eight team. That's getting you really near the playoffs, but I'm hoping for better than that. Five of the last eight games are at home. And some of the games that, when you looked at in the beginning of the season, that looked like they were going to be maybe not winnable, look a little bit more winnable right now. Like, you look at the 49ers. Like, I thought that was going to be a very tough game. They haven't really showed up much this season. The Chiefs are a big mystery. The Steelers aren't playing that well, even though their, their record is pretty decent. You know, the Raiders started off good, but now they're they're coming down to earth a little bit. The Chargers, you thought Herbert was going to continue on that pace, and he has is having a very good year, and they're a winning team, but they're not this invincible team. So a lot of these games that on paper look scary aren't as scary as they were when you looked at them in the beginning of the year. So I'm not going to go win-loss, 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 because it's not fair, because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, what if we go against the Browns and Chubb is out? You know, that could come from uh, thinking it's a loss on paper to a win. But let's just take a look at the games upcoming. And I'm not really going to comment. I just want you to think about what your opinion is of if everything remains the same as now, if there's no major injuries, and every team is kind of playing like they're playing now. Here's the upcoming eight. All right, so you have at Raiders. That's a long road trip, but they're a very beatable team. You know, they're kind of hot and cold. You know, without rugs in there, they lost their deep threat, so anything can happen in that game. Then you have the Steelers at home. You beat them at Pittsburgh. 
Ben cannot throw the ball down the field. I'm watching the game the other night, and I'm and I'm yelling at the Bears. Why are you playing two deep safeties? Just have a single high and everyone else within 12 yards of the line of scrimmage because he's not going deep to anybody. And you see it. Like, he, he might throw that occasional lollipop just to show that, oh, we're not afraid to go downfield. He can't go downfield anymore. So we're home against the Steelers. Then we're home against the Chargers, up and down. Herbert's playing very well, but they're still a beatable team. They have a lot of vulnerability. They give up a lot of points. Home against the Niners. The Niners are struggling. They have a decent team on paper, but again, they got hit by injuries, and they just seem to be playing pretty mediocre this year. Then the next game is at Denver, and Denver is a mystery. They had a good week this week, but you know they beat a couple bad teams early. They didn't show up against some good teams. I'm not sure what to think about them, but the problem with Denver is it's that altitude. They have a big home field advantage. If you don't get out there early enough in the week, your players are still getting their win during the game, and that could be a big disadvantage for you. So anything can happen in that game. Bridgewater is not a dominant quarterback, so you know take your pick on how you think that game's going to go. Then we got three tough games and three big games. Home against the Ravens. Hey, you beat them in their park. Let's beat them in our park. You know, let's let's make Lamar throw the ball inaccurately. Let's get him so mad that he refuses to shake Joe Burrow's hand again. Then you have the Chiefs. Again, that was a scary game on paper in the beginning of the year. You're almost thinking, oh, maybe the Chiefs will rest their starters. They'll be so so much ahead of everybody in the conference. And then you go to the Browns. Tough matchup. As we saw this week, we're, they're a tough matchup for us, you know, position by position. It is at Cleveland. It's going to be a very important game. You know, it would be kind of fun if, if that game decided who was going to win the division. I'm hoping that it comes down to that. Let that be our playoffs before the playoffs you know you get hot near the end of the year and those are the teams that make a difference in the playoffs so that's the final eight take your pick on how many we're going to win out of that I would love to see at least five wins there I think five wins there would take us into the playoffs you know take it like this win the five at home lose the three on the road if it came down to that we're still going to the playoffs whether we lose to the Browns on that last game or not All right, so let's quickly go through the position groups and how they've done in the first half of this season. So quarterback, I don't care if Joe Burrow has 11 picks. You have to remember, he's only played 19 and a half games. That's barely more than one season's worth. He's still a very young player. So those interceptions are going to happen. And you watch, as his career goes by, those numbers are going to be in single digits year after year. He is an absolute superstar, and it's everything that he does. It's the leadership. It's the stuff I talk about every week. It's the leadership, it's the accuracy, it's the poise, it's throwing under pressure, it's throwing on the move, it's reading defenses. He's got it all. We have ourselves a quarterback that is capable of taking us to the Super Bowl with the right cast around him and a little more experience. Let's hope that this year is that year. Running back, it's nice to see Mixon healthy this year. He's having a monster year. I mean, he's running the ball well. He's deadly out of the backfield catching the ball. P. Ryan is, continues to run through a brick wall, continues to be productive every time he's in there, continues to be a very good blocker in the pass game, and effective catching the ball out of the backfield. He's a definite asset and a great number two. And Chris Evans has been a pleasant surprise. You know, sixth-round draft pick, and I know he's banged up the last couple weeks, but he was making an impact when he started getting in there. He's that kind of player... You know, he's going to get you a 30-yard reception every couple games, and you can hand the ball off to him. He's got some good moves. An exciting pickup there that I think he's going to be a Bengal for a while. 
wide receivers. Jamar Chase is just the man. I mean, he is worth every ounce of that fifth pick. He is going to be the rookie of the year. I know the last two weeks were a little bit less productive than the first few, but I mean, he was winning rookie of the week almost every week. It was incredible putting up, you know, the best numbers by a rookie through X amount of games up to this point. You look at all the big plays this season that were exciting. He's been in there making the big block, the work ethic, the way he analyzes and self-analyzes and is accountable. He is just, he's like the Joe Burrow of wide receivers for us. That tandem is going to take us to great heights this year and beyond. We got ourselves such a player there, and it's so nice to see us hit at the top of the draft. Remember, John Ross was selected in that same slot, and look at the production difference already. I think Chase has more yards than Ross had in his whole Bengals career at this point, and it's just crazy how you can hit on somebody and miss on somebody, but you could just tell what Chase was going to be. And just watch, even though defenses are keying on him, he's got eight more games to show you that he's the best receiver around. Higgins is having a great year too, proving that he's a solid number two. And if you're going to pay attention to Chase, Higgins is going to get 10 targets and he's going to eat you up too. He's great at high pointing the ball. His routes are good. He's a strong receiver, has decent speed. So all the intangibles are there. We have ourselves a great player there that we stole in the second round last year. Tyler Boyd has been the mystery for me. I mean, you look at the numbers, he's got a bunch of receptions, but there's games where he's barely involved. And really, I I was saying coming into the season, watch Tyler Boyd, watch Tyler Boyd. He's going to have 100 catches this year. He's going to be the main target. And I think by Chase breaking out so much, they didn't involve Boyd as much. But get this man involved. He's a dangerous player, as I said earlier in this podcast. And he should be getting 8 to 10 targets a game because he will produce, especially on third downs. He's a clutch player. And then the rest of the wide receivers, they're using sparingly. Auden Tate is hurt right now, but they weren't using him a lot. I'd love to see him get more targets. I don't want to see him leave the team because he's not getting any action. Mike Thomas was hurt. You know, Burrow likes to find him here and there, not contributing that much, unfortunately. Trenton Irwin, he's barely in there, but he has produced when they did throw him the ball. I'd like to see him get a few more targets. Stanley Morgan, the special teams and the blocking is just guaranteeing him a roster spot for the long haul. You know, it's really been the focus on the three big ones and everyone else is kind of an afterthought. I'd like to see us get the other guys involved just a little bit more, but I know there's only one ball to go around and you have a lot of star players ahead of the backup wide receivers. Tight end, Uzama's been a pleasant surprise. I thought he was kind of a middle-of-the-league tight end, and I was really thinking that we had to chase a big-time tight end in the offseason, but he's just doing it all. He's blocking, he's making big plays, he's scoring touchdowns, he's catching whatever's thrown to him, he's getting run after the catch, he's getting open, he's running good routes, the whole thing. Very happy with his performance this year, and I foresee him becoming a captain next year with the leadership role that he's taking and the fact that he's been on the team longer than almost anybody. Drew Sample, they're not using him that much. He has his ups and downs. He has some good blocking games, some decent blocking games, not much in the passing game. So, you know, look for them to maybe add some tight end depth in the upcoming draft or maybe through free agency. Offensive line, Jonah flashes like he's worth that number 10 pick in the draft, and there's times where he has some mental lapses and doesn't play well. The jury's still out. I I assume that he's going to be a long-term starter for us, and at times I firmly believe it. And then at other times, I'm like, Jonah, what are you doing? So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But, man, I'm pulling for him. We need him to work out at that left tackle position. Quentin Spain having another great year. 
And again, he's all about the team. First one to come to Burrow's aid. First one to give Burrow an arm when he's on the ground and help him up. Makes some good blocks on the second level. Has very good mobility for a big man. You know, has had some ups and downs as well. But I think that he should be our left guard for the next year or two at least. Center, Trey Hopkins. Started off slow. Got better over the next few weeks. Kind of peaked and kind of had a couple bad two weeks really lowly rated by Pro Football Focus. I know they're the experts, but I just watch with my own eyes. I don't just go off PFF rankings, and that's my barometer of how good or bad a guy is. The other guard has been kind of a rotation. We wanted Carmen to own the position. He had a couple good games, but he hasn't really taken charge there, and then he gets hurt. Suofilo can't stay on the field, so I don't know what's up with him. I thought Carmen was playing better than Suofilo. And now Adenogy seems to have supplanted both of them. They really like him. So it's going to be a little bit of a revolving door at that right guard position. And that's something that we need to strongly address in the offseason. And hopefully with the three guys that we have now, and maybe Deontay Smith comes back late, hopefully between the four of them, we're able to protect Burrow and have some decent play at that spot as we make our march to the playoffs. Riley Reef is playing very well for a 10-11 year player in the league. Again, he's ha- he has some lapses like Jonah, but I think I would say that he's playing better than any offensive lineman on the team right now, and I think he was a great pickup because last year with Bobby Hart, that was a disaster. So it's nice to have Reef kind of settle that position down. Isaiah Prince has been a good backup, you know, put him in as an extra blocker and give him a couple snaps here and there. I kind of trust him, you know, for short stretches right now, so it's nice to have him coming off the bench. All right, on to the defense. Hendrickson, amazing. Everything that we ever wanted. I think they had him for missing a lot of tackles, but I know I've seen some, but you can miss some of your tackles. You're, I think you're playing at a very high level, and you're making a lot of big plays for this defense. What, what's he at, eight and a half sacks now? And it's not just about that. It's just every down being a, a disruptive force, and that's what he's been. And then Hubbard on the other side. Started off a little bit slow, but he's playing very well right now. He, I think he had the best game out of any defender against the Browns this last game. So he's on a, a nice couple game high, and I hope that continues. And then you have Sample coming off the bench. He's a little banged up right now. But before that, he was playing very well rotationally. Khalid Kareem missed most of the first half of the year, came back in, had a, a little bit of an off game. I didn't see him much this last game, if at all. So we'll see what, what kind of production we can get out of him. But he's a very intense player. And I hope he heals up enough down the stretch to give us some productive snaps there as well. And then you go to the guys I've been talking up all year on the interior. Reader playing like a pro bowler. I don't know what else to say. Just he he sets up everybody else on that defense to make plays. Ogunjobi, phenomenal pickup, having a great year. B.J. Hill, we stole him from the Giants for Billy Price. I don't know what Price is doing over there with the Giants. I've seen a couple plays where he looked pretty bad. I don't even know if he's playing right now. But B.J. Hill has surpassed the production that we've gotten out of Billy Price by far. Tupo, aside from the last game, has had a great season up to this point as well. Shelvin hasn't seen the field yet, but, you know, he's a rookie. Hopefully he eases into the position and we get something out of him late this year or next year. Linebackers, Logan Wilson was having a near Pro Bowl level year in the first few games. He slowed down a little bit in the last two. Let's hope that he picks it up, though. He's been playing instinctively, I got to say. He's got the interceptions. He's playing tougher than ever. He's making some hard hits. He nailed Lamar a couple times. 
Of course, we know that he's got range and he's fast. So it's just a matter of him regaining that form from the first few games. And I think he'll get back to that. But he's been a very big plus for us this season. And Pratt, he has his up and down games. I think this is his best year as a Bengal. And he's always going for the strip. He's playing hard. He's playing sideline to sideline. So I have no complaints about him. I'd like to see a few more big plays out of him. But for the most part, he's doing his job. Marcus Bailey's just going to start getting playing time now with Davis Gaither going down. I thought Gaither was having a good year. He bulked up a little bit. It looked like his career was going to start taking off. Unfortunately, the injury happened. I don't know if we're going to see him again this year. So now Marcus Bailey is going to get his chance, and we'll see what he does. You know, you saw Jordan Evans go out for the year. I thought Joe Bocci has been good on special teams. Then defensive backfield, Awuzie is having a Pro Bowl year too. He's, he's let up a few passes here and there, but he has been more than what we all expected, and I'm very excited to have him for a few more years. I think he pretty much locks down that side of the field. He's capable of following receivers around too, so very, very big addition. Eli Apple has struggled. I don't know what we're going to do with that position. You know, you have Flowers and Hargraves. Hargraves is more of a slot guy, but we'll see what they do with the combination of those three guys. Hilton has been great for the locker room. We haven't seen the sack numbers that we saw out of him in Pittsburgh, but he is very disruptive. He's always in the backfield, so I think he was a big pickup this year too. And then you have Jesse Bates, who I don't know if the neck injury is bothering him a little bit. He's he's not playing as well as he did last year, and that upsets me because he was in line for a major, major contract. I still think he's playing very well. I just think he might have lost a few dollars because his play is not quite where it was last year. I guess we'll see, but I wouldn't want to have another safety in there. There's a couple elite safeties around the league, but... He's another guy. He's a leader, he's a team player, and he's a heck of a player. And Von Bell is another one that lives in the opponent's backfield. He's like a safety that doubles as a linebacker, makes every tackle that you need him to make. And I think between Bates and Bell, we have one of the top three safety tandems in the league. Special teams, we have our kicker of the future. You know, we haven't heard that much about him lately because he hasn't had any game-winning kicks, but... You know, you put us out at 55 yards, for the most part, I think he's going to make it. And he's a reliable kicker. He's young. He's unfazed, just like Joe Burrow. So definitely a great player to have on this team. And you watch, he's going to be winning a lot of games for us in the years to come. Clark Harris, Hall of Famer, if they were ever going to put a long snapper in the Hall of Fame, there, there's your first. Huber, having a pretty good year, too. Again, more inside the 20 than touchbacks. He's been getting more pressure than normal. I don't know what's going on with the blocking schemes up there. A reliable holder, a reliable punter. I don't know if Crispin's going to be able to replace him next year. I think Huber's still got another year or two left in him. Gunner, Stanley Morgan, doing a magnificent job. You see other teams aren't having these big punt returns. The whole kick coverage unit is just exploding. Everyone on there. The returners are a little shaky. You know, Brandon Wilson, he only had one or two big returns. And I was expecting more to come, but unfortunately he's out for the year, so we have to fill his position. Not liking the job that Darius Phillips is doing at punt returning, and I certainly don't want to see him in there returning kicks. So your options from here are Trenton Irwin, but that's really not his specialty. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. I think you bring up Puka Williams from the practice squad and give him a shot for a game or two and just see if he can move the needle. But overall, our special teams are amongst the top in the league, and although they're not outwardly winning games for us, aside from the two McPherson kicks, they're certainly not losing games for us. 
So there it is. There's my midseason preview. If you look at it, there's a lot of good going on. So I think that this team will make a push for the playoffs, and I'm not just being the Bengal optimist. So eight more games, eight more weeks, you know, hopefully 11, 12 more weeks of Cincinnati Bengal football. AFC North standings. The 5-4 and four Bengals are currently in fourth place in the AFC North. They trail the 6-2 and two Ravens, the 5-3 and three Steelers, and the 5-4 and four Browns have the tiebreaker over the Bengals because they beat them head-to-head. The Bengals are currently the ninth seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a special roundtable edition of the unofficial Bengals podcast. We're going to welcome in Sands, Tom McLevy, and Justin Lacey, and we're going to talk about everything up to this point in the season. I'm also going to preview the Raiders game. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.